This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We'll now be reading from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to chapter 6, verse 9. So if you haven't take your, taken your Bibles, uh, do take it. And if you need a, a writing materials or a notebook, uh, please take it. And if there are children uh, joining us for this service, children, uh, this passage is also for you. So as I read, I do listen out to what Paul says about children. Okay, so to this passage is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will live, leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with, fear, with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way, do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Uh, really good to see all of you here today. Uh, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to thank you for your word. We thank you for church. We thank you for the ability to meet even though we're physically separate. We realize that uh, indeed uh, it is a struggle, but we pray that during this time, you remind us, remind us once again of who we are and how we are to live before you as we walk in Christ. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, when I was working uh, as an as a accountant in uh, a computer company, 
um, I tried to share the good news of Jesus with a couple of my colleagues. Now, it was really interesting because two of the colleagues actually said to me that uh, they didn't want me to really share the gospel with them because they felt that Christians were hypocrites. And what made these two uh, colleagues quite similar was that they felt that it was their Christian family members who were hypocrites. And the phrase that they gave to me was that they felt that their Christian family members, so-called, were only Sunday Christians. Now, this was really interesting because what they said was, you know, they were Sunday Christians because they were only Christians when they went to church on a Sunday, but when they saw them as they really were uh, in their home life, they recognized that uh, these family members were not Christians at all. And so here, as we look at today's passage, uh, we really want to realize that uh, to be a Christian means that we are not to be Sunday Christians. And we've already seen that because when we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, we saw right at the very beginning, in chapter 1 to 3, that God had saved us. God's grace had saved us in Christ. We were saved and made alive with Christ. And therefore, this was our identity. Now, because we had this identity, we were then required to live in a certain way. And so in the following chapters, starting from chapter 4, verse 1, it was a very different uh, focus then, chapter 4 onwards, where it was telling us to live or to walk in a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And so uh, in the following chapters, which I think began by Nick, in, uh, Nick Wong when he was preaching, there was a very clear shift. Your identity in Christ, okay, maybe I put myself in the middle here, right? Your identity in Christ, okay? Your identity in Christ must lead to walking or living in Christ. And so in the subsequent chapters that we saw, walking in Christ had the idea of where you had to be united. So remember the Jews and Gentiles, they had to live in peace with one another and unity with one another. And then after that, there was a sense in which you had to have holiness in Christ. And so today, we are going to be looking at what does it mean to walk in Christ or live in Christ in a family, in the family environment. So the first thing we're going to look at today is the idea of family. Okay, family. So our identity was to be saved in Christ, then united in Christ, holy in Christ. And today, we're going to be looking at how to live in a Christ-centered household. What should we, should we be like in a Christ-centered household? How do we live in Christ as family members? So the first thing we're going to look at is the instruction to wives. And so it begins by saying, uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So the first thing we see here is that wives submit to their husbands, not because of capability or equality or, uh, uh, you know, some sort of uh, ranking, but rather, wives should submit to their husbands 
out of reverence to Christ because of their relationship to the Lord Jesus. Now, this is really important because it means that this is the pattern of relationship that God has ordained within marriage. And if you're a Christian woman and you're married, then this is the pattern of relationship that God wants you to exhibit as a wife. So, uh, think of the most powerful... Oh, sorry. Yeah, okay, so before we do that, the pattern of the wife's relationship to the husband is patterned on the wife, her relationship with Christ, looking to church and the Christ, and then wife to the husband. So the first part, okay, so the first part, I make myself a bit bigger again. So the first part here, if you look, <clears throat> as a wife, as you choose to submit to Christ, then you look to the model of Christ and the church. And this is the model for which the Christian woman will then base her relationship with her husband. So as Christ submits, sorry, as the church submits to Jesus Christ, so the wife submits to the husband. Now what that means is, um, like I said, you could be the most powerful woman in the world, right? So if you think about it, the most powerful woman in the world today is probably Angela Merkel, Chancellor of Germany. Or you could even be like uh, Jacinda Ardern, who's the Prime Minister of New Zealand. But what God is saying is, if you were a Christian woman and you were Jacinda Ardern or Angela Merkel, within the context of marriage, God wants you to play a particular role as you walk in Christ. And that is to submit to your husband because the model you have is the relationship between church and Christ. So I remember in my previous church, there was a couple, a married couple. The wife was uh, university educated. She was earning more than her husband. She was more, uh, uh, she had a powerful executive position. But it was really very um, encouraging to me because in her marriage to the husband, I think the husband was just a blue collar worker. She was very visibly uh, respectful and submissive to the husband, even though she was more uh, earning more and more powerful in terms of her executive position. The reason why she did that was not because of capability, equality, or position, but because in Christ, that's the role that Christ had called her to. So now what does this submission look like in real life? Well, in verse 33, uh, the Bible goes on to elaborate a bit more about this idea of submission and this idea of respect. So submission is not slavery. Submission is not being a doormat. Submission is not an excuse for the husband to have domestic violence or abuse against his wife. That is not the biblical idea of submission. If that's happening to you as a wife, please come and speak to the pastors or something. Okay? Nobody should be the victim of uh, domestic abuse or violence. But submission and respect come together in affirming the husband's role as the head of the family. And so if you look at the next slide, uh, submit and respect to support the husband's headship. Now, that's very important, right? Because at the end of the day, that's where uh, the family relationship is. The wife is to submit and respect husband 
to support him and encourage him and build him up as the head of the family household. Now, it's very sad because I've been to many family dinners uh, where wives don't do that. Uh, they don't submit a respect or support or affirm or encourage or build up the husband in the headship or leadership in the family. Instead, what do they do? They tear him down. They undercut him. They hamstring him. They belittle him and look down on the husband and make it very obvious to everyone. You know? They make jokes about the husband. Oh, he's useless. You know, uh, he's good for nothing. And uh, they compare him to other men uh, unfavorably. And the sad thing is these are Christian wives. Uh, these are wives who go to big churches. These are wives who go to church every Sunday. But what are they? They are Sunday Christians. Exactly like what my ex-colleague says, right? They are Sunday Christians. Because here are wives who only exhibit Christian values on a Sunday, but then on the rest of the week, and especially when we're having dinner, are not walking in Christ as Christian wives. So I remember when um, <clears throat> the kids were growing up, uh, my wife Cheryl used to tell the, the kids uh, that daddy is the captain of the family. No, and I think that was really important for the kids to know that uh, Cheryl, my wife, uh, saw me as the captain of the family and affirmed me and supported me and encouraged me to be the head of the family. And that's a, the role that you are to have as a Christian wife. Now, the next set of instructions then uh, go on to the husbands. And it will be very noticeable that actually uh, the instructions to the husbands is like three times longer uh, than for the wives. So obviously, husbands, looking at you now, you need to pay attention, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. <coughs> now, I want you to notice something. You would expect reading the Bible. It just said wives submit to her husbands in the context of headship. You might expect verse 25 to say husbands lead your wives. But it doesn't say that. It says husbands, what does it say? Love your wives. Love your wives. So what we see here is the role of you as a husband is not to focus on the leading, but to focus on the loving. Because husbands lead by loving. Husbands lead by loving. And what sort of love is the husband meant to show? So again, as for the women, the model of Christ in the church was the model of their role in the marriage relationship. And so the role of the husband is derived from his relationship with the church. So here we see that Christ loved the church and gave and sacrificed his life for the church. And so the same way husbands, or husbands, you are to love your wife. And what sort of love are you to show your wife? To give and sacrifice your life for your wife. Now, I like to call that crucifixion love. You have to show your wife crucifixion love. What does crucifixion love look like? 
crucifixion love is sacrificial. So husbands, I'm looking at you, asking you the hard questions. Are you willing to crucify your TV watching so that you can help your wife with the housework, looking after you know, uh, things at home so that she doesn't have to work so hard, maybe even iron your own clothes? Are you willing to crucify or sacrifice your computer playing time so that you would go to sleep on time with your wife so that you can spend time with her, chat to her, find out about her day? Or maybe even crucify or sacrifice your sleep time so that you wake up to look after the newborn babies, to help put the newborns to sleep? Would you be willing to crucify your career if your career got in the way of your relationship with your wife? Would you be willing to crucify or sacrifice your ego or your pride to be the first to say to, to your wife, to take the initiative and to say, I'm sorry for something that went wrong? Or to be the first to say, I love you. <clears throat> now, when I was growing up, uh, my, my parents or my dad used to say, you know, the role of the husband uh, is basically to bring home the bacon. That means that, you know, as long as I provide the roof over the head, uh, you know, pay money for the groceries, I've done my job, right? I can, you know, that's all I need to do. But Jesus bottle of his love for the church says that that is inadequate. Crucifixion love is looking after your wife, not just putting a roof over her head or giving her pocket money or something, but all of her life. Because Jesus Christ looked after and beautified his wife and also made her holy and blameless. And so as husbands, we are responsible for the emotional health of our wives, the physical health of our wives. Uh, we are also, if we follow the model of Jesus Christ, to take care of her spiritual life. So as a husband, are you concerned about your wife's spiritual life? Do you pray for a spiritual life? Do you encourage her spiritually? Do you encourage her in a walk in Christ? Now, the Bible then goes on to use another picture of the Christ and the church model. So in verse 28, it says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love, sorry, must also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And here the model is not so much Jesus sacrificially crucified himself in love for the church, but the idea of one flesh, one body. Now, the Bible passage here uh, quotes from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now, we know from the book of Ephesians that God has given revelation to Paul so that he may reveal the mysteries to the Christian people. And this is one of the mysteries that God has given to Paul to unravel and to reveal. So when you look at Genesis chapter 24, which is just uh, below me now, 
you think that for the original readers, it was just an instruction about marriage. But Paul says, no, it's actually a prophetic word. This is a prophetic word which looks to Jesus and the church, where Jesus and the church will become one flesh. They are one flesh. Christ and the church are one flesh. And so with Christ and the church as one flesh as our model of marriage, so the husband and the wife are also one flesh. That means that as the husband, you need to love and care for your wife as if she were your body. And so for husbands, do you care for your wife as you would your own self? Do you treat her as you would your own self? And so, you know, do you like having fun? I'm sure we all like having fun, right? Well, do you, do you make sure your wife has fun too? Because obviously she is one flesh, your body. Do you enjoy eating good food? Well, in the same way, if your wife is one flesh of you, she should also enjoy having good food. You know, it's like everything that you want for yourself, you should also make sure that your wife is getting. And so as we look at this passage today, there are two specific instructions based on the model. Um, wait, huh? okay, go back again. Based on the model that we've seen from Jesus Christ. Okay? That is sacrificial crucifixion love and to care for your wife as your own self. Now, these two models found in Jesus Christ means that we cannot be invisible husbands. Okay, so that's one of the, you know, the, the failures that the husbands have. They're like the invisible man at home. And why are we like the invisible man? Because we are living for ourselves. We are not showing sacrificial crucifixion love and we're not caring for our wives as ourselves. But men who are Christian walking in Christ in, as husbands will not be invisible men in their marriages and their family. They will be there sacrificially loving their wives and caring for their wives as one flesh. And so two applications that I want to talk about here. <clears throat> First of all, gen generally, it's not the role of the husband or the wife to be nagging or commanding their partner to fulfill their role. That's not what the Bible is saying here. Uh, we are to focus on our own roles. If I'm a man, I should focus on sacrificial love. I should focus on caring for my wife as myself. If I'm a woman, a Christian wife, I need to focus on submitting and respecting and building up my, my wife, my husband, sorry, in the headship of the family. So we should be going around using these passages to be nagging each other, but rather we should be living it out in our marriages, in our family life, uh, and not be Sunday Christians. Second point of application is I'm looking at you, single people. Okay? The single people here who are thinking of getting married, and obviously there are quite a few of you here for the 11-15 service. If you're thinking of getting married, uh, what are the criteria that you have when you're looking for a marriage partner? Right? What do you look for when you look for a boyfriend, or a girlfriend? Uh, do you look for physical attractiveness? Do you look for money, career success? Do you look for uh, the, the charismatic personality? Um, you know, because that's not what is going to be the basis or the blueprint of a Christian marriage. 
you want to look look for the marriage partner, someone who will fulfill these roles in your marriage. A wife who would willingly choose to submit and to respect and to build up your headship in the marriage. You want to look for a husband who will sacrificially love and have crucifixion love for you, who will look after you as if you were his own body. So if you're looking to get married, those are the things that you should be looking for. But more importantly as well is do not marry non-Christians then. Because, you know, if you look at this pattern or model of this marriage, it's all modeled on the relationship between Christ and the church. It is a beautiful, harmonious relationship where if you have a, a Christian wife who is submitting and respecting and building up the husband and headship, if you have the Christian husband who shows sacrificial crucifixion love and care for the wife, then there's a beautiful, harmonious relationship. But if you're marrying someone who is not of the same blueprint, imagine if you're the wife and you're trying to submit and respect the husband, hoping that he will lead you in Christ, present you holy and blameless. That's not possible. If you are the husband and you're trying to uh, sacrificially love and care for your wife, and part of it is to help her grow in Christ, and she's not a Christian, and she doesn't want to submit to you, then it's really, really hard for you to love and lead in that way. So if this is the pattern of marriage based on Jesus Christ and the church, then do not marry non-Christians because they will not be able to follow this blueprint. And without following this blueprint, you will not have a happy marriage. Now the passage then goes on to talk to children. Okay? Okay, we saw that already. And this passage then says, Children... Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment of the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, the idea of children here are not adult children, but rather more like children who are growing up, teenagers, staying with their parents and they haven't started working yet. This is who this passage is addressed to. And the context, I think, is within a Christian marriage because it says, Obey your parents in the Lord. So the context here is Christians growing up with a Christian family. Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. It is right because the Bible tells you to honor your father and mother. But the passage then elaborates on this and talks about how this is a a commandment where there's a promise where obeying your parents in the Lord will lead to things going well with you and so that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, in the book of uh, Proverbs, there are many, many Proverbs which talk about the benefit of actually obeying parents. And the benefits are this. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, preserve sound judgment and discernment. Do not let them out of your sight. They will be a life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety. Your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. And so here, the father's instruction and the mother's teaching are like something to be proud of, something like a chain to wear around your neck, something to show off. Because these teachings teach you judgment, sound judgment, discernment. It teaches you how to live in safety 
where you will not fall down in the traps of this world. Again, in the next passage, in Proverbs chapter 6, there's an idea of where these commands are like a lamp, like they're like light, so that you may know where you are walking. So the first thing I want to say to you, uh, to uh, children, for those of you who are teenagers, still living at home with your parents, um, it can be difficult, right? It can be difficult to listen to your parents. You may resent your parents' teaching. You may resent the boundaries that they set upon you. You have to come back home at a certain time. Uh, you know, you cannot go to certain websites. You cannot spend so long on your handphone. You cannot be friends with certain people. You cannot, uh, you know, indiscriminately use yourself, the net, wherever you want. But these things actually are good for you, right? They are good for you. Uh, your parents are not doing this because they are, you know, uh, cruel to you, but, but because they have your interests at heart. Now, you need to obey them because it is what you are to do as your role as children at home. But there is benefit to it. Right? There is benefit to it. I remember watching many programs on TV, on the YouTube, about parents who told their kids not to do things like don't drink and drive, don't go out of bad company, don't stay out so late. And bad things happen because their children do not obey their, their parents. So children, obey your parents. For it is good for you and it is part of walking the Lord. Now, in other parts of the uh, Bible, it actually says that disobedience to parents is a sign that you are out of Christ. It is a sign that you are of this age. This is the, 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 the characteristic of children who are outside of Christ, who are living in this age, is disobedience to parents. So, as children, choose not to be rebellious or disobedient children, but to be obedient children to your parents. Now, the last uh, section that we, uh, the, the, this part addresses in terms of family life is fathers. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, again, I'd like to ask you to pay attention to the passage, right? Because you would sort of feel that uh, it would be mothers who the Bible would, would talk to, isn't it? Because, you know, mothers are the ones who spend more time with the kids. But the Bible says, actually, fathers, okay, I'm looking at you fathers here, okay, I can see you all on the screen. Fathers, you are the ones who are responsible as the head of the family, as the head of the household for your children and how they grow up. And the first thing it tells fathers is, do not exasperate your children. Now, the word here, exasperate, is the idea of provoking your children because you are unreasonable, and then they get very frustrated, very annoyed, very angry because you're unreasonable. Or you provoke your children because you are too harsh with your punishment. Or you're, you, know, you provoke your children because you're, you're too erratic in your, your, the things that you, you expect from your children. Or you provoke them because you're asking them to do things which they cannot do. So I remember I watched uh, on YouTube this uh, Australian-Vietnamese uh, comedian. So uh, this Australian-Vietnamese comedian, I can't remember his name now. He was saying about how uh, he wanted to borrow his car, the car, his, his dad's car. And then his dad said to him, he said, oh, uh, where are you going? He said, oh, I'm going to uh, get my blood test results. And then uh, the father said, oh, your blood test results? Uh, what did you, what's your blood test results? He said, oh, I'm a, 
my blood my blood type is B plus. And then his father said, B plus? You're always B all your life. He said, why couldn't you get A plus? Okay, so that's the idea of being uh, unreasonable, right? And uh, exasperating. So parents here, especially fathers, do not exasperate your children or provoke them to anger or frustration by being unreasonable, by being overly harsh, by changing the rules all the time, by, you know, expecting them to do things which are beyond their capabilities. And I think it's very important because as the father, in a way, you present the model of their future relationship with God, the Father. So I read this uh, very interesting uh, quote where uh, there's this guy who is a professor of family life and he said that actually if, if the father is a, is a positive presence in the life of their children, then it helps the children have a positive relationship with God, the father. But if the model of the father, the earthly father is an, is an absent father or an abusive father or a dysfunctional father, then it's very hard for the children to have a healthy relationship with God, the father, because in a sense, their understanding of the father is already tainted by their bad relationship with their earthly father. So fathers, don't exasperate your children. Rather, you know, encourage them, foster them, help them to have a positive relationship with you. Now, the passage then goes on uh, to talk about um, how fathers uh, do not exasperate your children, but instead, what does it say here? Bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now this word here, training, right? You can see this word training here where my hand is. Is the idea of education. Education, discipline, all the things involved in education. And instruction here has the idea of verbal instruction, right? Not like tuition or that. And so what it says here is fathers, instead of exasperating your children, you need to Train them up, educate them in the Lord. That is your full, sole and, and, and primary responsibility. Okay, so fathers may think that their role is to play games with their kids, right? You know, I'm, I'm just in charge of having fun with my kids. Or, you know, maybe as a father, uh, I'm in charge for them doing really well at school. Or I'm, the only thing I do is, uh, you know, maybe I fetch them to school or something like that. But as a Christian, person, a father, to walk in Christ, your role is to train them up and instruct them in the Lord. So that brings us to a series of difficult questions, right? Do you take responsibility as a father for raising your kids up in the Lord? Do you invest time with your kids so that you can have close conversations with your kids and talk to them about spiritual things? Is the relationship such that they will come to you and ask you the hard Christian questions, like doubts about their faith, uh, questions about, you know, all sorts of things, right? Uh, are you there for them to guide them through the difficult times in life and give them spiritual input? Now, I was reading this uh, very interesting <clears throat> uh, set of uh, statistics um, where it says that, 
according to different like sources, uh, if a, if the wife goes to church but the father doesn't, then apparently in America statistically, only one in fifty of those children will become regular worshippers when they grow up. Okay, only one in fifty. If only the mother goes to church. If the father goes regularly, regardless of whether the mother goes or not, two-thirds or three-quarters of the children will attend church as adults. Can you see the impact the father's role has on the children growing up as Christians? Some other statistics. Another study focused on Sunday school and found that if both parents attend Bible study in addition to Sunday service, 72% of their children will attend Sunday school when they're growing up. But when only the father attends, 55% of the children will attend when growing up. But if only the mother attends, then only 15% of the children will attend as they are growing up. So again, fathers have a huge, huge influence on their children's spiritual formation. Again, another survey found that if the child is the first person in the household to become a Christian, there is a 3.5% probability everyone else in the household will follow. If the mother becomes the first person to become a Christian, then there's only a 17% probability everyone in the household will follow. But if the father is the first person to become a Christian, there's a 93% probability that everyone else in the household will follow. So the point here is, fathers, you need to take responsibility for your kids' spiritual formation. You need to train them up, educate them, take responsibility for their Christian walk. Now, this doesn't guarantee, obviously, that all your children are going to become Christian. And the Bible never says that. But this is the role that God has given you. You know, you want to be the head of the household. We are the head of the household. This is the responsibility that we have. So the problem nowadays is um, the world is full of uh, absent fathers, right? Absent fathers. Uh, they may be there physically, but they're not there emotionally. They're not there paternally. They just do their own stuff. They have fun, whatever, but they're not there. And it affects their kids very negatively. It affects their sons. Uh, it affects their daughters, right? So the Christian father... You're not an absent father. Rather, you are an invested father. Right? You, you invest yourself in the training and instruction of the Lord in your children. Now, as we come to the very end of today's passage, uh, in conclusion, I remember reading uh, in the Straits Times, actually, a psychologist saying, who you are is what you are like at home. And I think there's a lot of truth to it, right? Who you are is what you are like at home. Because at home, your, your mask uh, is gone. The walls come down and, you know, this is who you really are. And who are we really? We are people in Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the family of God. And so, that means that uh, as we live in our house, we must live in the particular roles that God has given us. Okay? So if you're the bride, you're the wife, submit, respect, and build up the husband in his headship. If you are the husband, 
you are to sacrificially, crucifixion-wise, love your wife, care for her as you, your own body. If you're the child, obey your parents. For this is right and it will go well with you. If you are the father, then you need to invest yourself in training and educating your child in the Lord. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to ask that you would help us not to be Sunday Christians. We pray that you may help us to truly be in every way uh, Christians in all of our life, especially at home. Help us to be walking in Christ as wives, as husbands, as children, as uh, fathers. And so, dear Father, we really pray that you would give us that conviction, allow us to use Christ and the church as the model to see that our Christian walk is not just as Sunday Christians, but the whole of life. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Andrew. Uh, we will now be going to our breakout rooms uh, to, to discuss what we learned. So our question will be about how, what challenges do I face in living or walking in Christ in my family life? Okay, let's go to our breakout rooms. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.